I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, and Andrew Gillis. And off the rip here, we're going to start out with some news that's happening in real time as we're sitting down to record this pod on Monday. It came out in the report that Ryan Day was expecting to make some significant changes to his staff. We're going to get into a bigger conversation on that later this week. But the first decision is made, and no, it is not Parker Flynn. <laughs> Ryan Day it will not retain Perry Eliano, the safeties coach who has been here for the last two years. Nathan, Ohio State runs a safety-driven defense. At least the on-field product for the safety room has been pretty quality. Just off, as you're hearing this information, like I said, we're finding this information out in real time as we're recording this pod on Monday. Are you kind of shocked that of some of the changes that Ryan Day needed to make, this was one of the ones he decided to make? No, not shocked. It's not the one that we thought was maybe the most urgent but hey, it doesn't surprise us and there's there's other timing that always if there's somebody you want to hire to replace the person that is that you're not going to retain then that may speed up how early you have to announce you're not retaining that person does that make sense so that that could be a factor here so these things are not just in order of of importance based on our our speculation and our observations so uh Not necessarily surprised about the timing, because I think all of this is just going to come out here in the next week or so. But when we did our little retrospective um, at the end of the season, and and based off of what Ryan Day had said, the way he evaluates his staff, and we went coach by coach and said, well, where do we think things stand right now? I don't remember what grade we actually came out with on Perry Eliano, but there was a little bit of hesitation there because not so much because of the safety performance but because of where recruiting had gone. And it's it's tricky because like Malik Harford showed up here and was really good. It looks like he's ready to go as a true freshman. But he, he was like number 151, and that's the highest ranked guy you brought in in that class. And for a, a position where you have to have three guys every year um, starting at least, and, and we saw this year how much deeper you might have to go with that for matchups and stuff, it just – I think what they saw was maybe that from a recruiting standpoint, it just wasn't there and that it was time to make a change before things slid too far in the wrong direction. So we've seen it happen at other positions and you make that change one year too late and look at Ohio state's offensive line, I guess is what I'm saying. (laughs) So it's, it's, I think that was maybe the factor here. He said, Ryan day said number one thing that he recruits that he, he now analyzes staff on is recruiting. Like that's the number one thing you got to mm-hmm. recruit your position at a high level. And I think he was telegraphing some of the changes he was going to make based on how that conversation went. So Andrew, what's the recruiting look like the last two years from regards to a safety standpoint and where did maybe Perry Eliano not, you know, hit the mark and where are some places where he did? Yeah. So, you know, you, you, he arrived in 2022. You can't say that the 2022 class was his doing or his fault. Um, he just, he got hired in January of 2022 and I mean, the class was done. Um, but for the class of 2023, which was really kind of the first class that you could sink your teeth into, uh, they signed Malik Hartford, uh, four star number 151. He's out of Westchester, you know, solid, feel good about him. Um, I know they, they feel highly about him in the program. Then you get four-star Jaden Bonsu. He's a four-star player out of New Jersey, number 274 overall in the 23 class. And you get Cedric Hawkins out of Florida. He is a four-star, number 357 in that class. Um, but the 24 class was really kind of started to wor- starting to where you saw some, some problems. Um, you have Jalen McClain. He's a four-star player out of New Jersey, number 269 in the class. 
And then you have to go all the way down. The last overall player in the class per the recruiting rankings, Leroy Roker. He's a three-star player, number 975 in the class. So he signed five players in the last two cycles. None of them were top 150 recruits. I know that's a bit of a cop-out considering Malik Hartford was number 151, but you didn't get any of the high-end guys that, frankly, like the rest of the the rest of the defensive side of the ball is getting like the defensive line has pulled in five stars. Um, the cornerbacks room, we've talked about how elite that has been over the last couple of years. And the safety room was just kind of lagging behind. And that says nothing about their quality on the field, but like Nathan was saying, you got to get ahead of it a little bit and you could start to see where things were going to be a problem because you could bring in those guys and look, you know, it's totally, it's totally fine to bring in Jaden Bonsu and it's totally fine to bring in Malik Hartford and it's totally fine to bring in these guys. But when you miss on KJ Bolden, who's a five-star player and you miss on Caleb Downs, who's a five-star player. And I don't want that to sound like Ohio state just, ah, you know, can't believe that they had it in the bag and they lost and they just lose those recruitments. Well, you can't lose too many of those recruitments, and that's what happened. And you got to bring in high-level talent, and they just haven't in the last couple of cycles. So that's uh, that's where you're at. You know, the room in terms of the future, you've got numbers there, I think. You know, you had three in the 23 class and two in the 24 class, but is there that high-end talent? I think that that's the problem. Yeah, when you, when you look at the staff, obviously, Nathan, you brought it up. Brian Day, when he revealed that criteria, the first thing he said was recruiting. You know, we, we talked about this with some of the offensive guys that when's the last time you went out and got somebody where it doesn't make any sense why you went and got them, but you went out and won a recruiting battle. I mean, we see Brian Hartline doing it. We're seeing Tim Walton do it in the cornerback room. Larry Johnson has done it over the course of his long tenured career. Tony Offord has done it. Justin Fry, Perry Eliano, and the linebackers coach, which is Jim Knowles officially, but then a kind of unofficially there is James Oronitis. Those are the only – well, no, Ohio, the linebackers just did it with, with Peyton Pierce there. So Perry Eliano is on that list of guys who hasn't necessarily gone out and just got a guy. And to your point, Nathan, when you're talking about the right now seems fine. The right now seems fine, especially with some of the guys that are expecting to get back who have opted in instead of deciding to declare for the NFL draft. But the very near future – gets murky very quickly with that safety room. And when you're talking about Ryan Day, who is expected to make some drastic changes to his coaching staff, while it's not completely shocking, it's just kind of the first step of maybe a couple of pieces that might fall. And listen, as much as we said that the performance of the safeties this year was not bad, it wasn't very good last year. And in between last year and this year, Mm -hmm. they promoted Tim Walton and gave him oversight of the whole secondary. So if we're going to give Perry Allen credit for that, you got to give Tim Walton some credit for that and and helping make that happen. And now they need to find a way, like you say, to have some of Tim Walton's success recruiting cornerbacks start to uh, impact the way they're recruiting safeties. Now, have they had like multiple top 50, top 60, 70 safeties from the state of Ohio in these last couple of classes? No, they haven't. That definitely does help. But at some point, like you're saying, like there was a gap between like that that blue chip layup in your backyard and then being able to 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 get that talent at the at the upper level and in from 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 out of state from from out of region even and that i think has to be the standard that day is using across the board now not that i guess it ever wasn't the standard but if you start to see too much drift there if and it's just not there um if if it's not getting done i think you've probably got to pull the trigger fairly quickly. And it's just, I mean, Perry Leona was in a situation like these guys come in on two-year contracts. His two-year contract ends on January 31st, as anybody else's contract who's up this year, it ends on January 31st. These things always go February to uh, starting on February 1st. So um, that's what makes this decision, the timing of this decision, um, not also not surprising because you weren't, you're not deciding to fire somebody. You're just simply deciding not to retain them, not to give them another contract and that, that is maybe it's a semantic argument that is is slightly different as far as the decision mm-hmm. you have to make in front of you so that's the first of a couple of staff dominoes that potentially are expected to fall over the next couple of weeks or maybe the next couple of days here as this continues to develop that's somebody who is not coming back there are a few pieces that are coming back and we'll get into that when we come back here on buckeye talk get the text 614-350-3315 i know you're listening to this on a pod but when we first heard this information 
We texted it first before we did anything else with it, man. Two-week free trial, $3.99 after that. Let's take a break right here, and then we'll get into some people who will be back for Ohio State in 2024. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And we're back here on Buckeye Talk. Like it's Stephen Beans, Nathan Baird, Andrew Gillis. We're talking the latest developments in the Ohio State football program, which have been a ton. Over the past 96 hours or here or so since the last time you heard our voices when we talked about Will Howard and his transfer, a deep dive into the new Ohio State quarterback and how he maybe fits into the Buckeyes offense going forward. We talked to Perry Eliano in that first session section there, and now we're going to talk about the, some of the players, one of which, Lathan Ransom, Nathan, coming back for a fifth year to maybe have a better end to his year. This, I mean, it's the second time in his career he's ended his, his season with an injury. How big of a deal is it that Ohio State is getting safety Lathan Ransom back, even if it's going to be playing for a different position coach? You know, this was a decision that I felt like got a little bit swallowed up by all of the third-year speculation and mm-hmm. he's not. He's a. He's been here four years already. So this is a fifth year that he's coming back for. He wasn't a part of that 2021 class, and it got a little bit just like like I said, it got a little bit lost. Maybe it was just like out of sight, out of mind, because everybody else, you know, were watching them play down the stretch. The Jack Sawyer and JT Tumaloa and Tyreek Williams and Denzel Burke and Jordan Hancock. And they're all there, the, the closing stretch of the season and on into the bowl game. We get to actually talk to them. And Ransom's around, too. He was at practice, and he was he was hanging out, but we didn't see him on the field. And all along, it was one that I kind of kept tossing out there to remind people, like, but don't forget about this, because, like, there's no gear. There wasn't really a guarantee he would go. I mean, and then especially once he encountered the injury, because if the injury was going to keep him out through the Cotton Bowl, which obviously it did, and we don't have the, I don't think, the, the full specificity of exactly what the injury is. But it made me start to wonder if, a, the combination of him not getting to finish out the year, just like everybody else, it, it, having some pullback from that. But also, we don't know the full extent of this injury. If it's going to keep him out into the spring or towards the spring, and it was going to be a problem for the pre-draft process, then the reasons to come back start to really kind of pile up for him. And how big is it? I think it's massive because the one question that I think I had the most was what is the safety alignment going to be and the linebacker too. But, but I all, I kind of feel that if they get the defensive line, right. And they get both these cornerbacks back, uh, their starting cornerbacks back. And then you have an intact secondary in the safety group too. I'm not that worried about linebacker. I think they can figure linebacker out. We know one of them at worst is Cody Simon. So like you're, you're kind of, dealing with a, at least a high floor at linebacker probably. But to 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 not have to worry about who like your fourth safety is potentially at the start of next year is sort of an underrated thing, but potentially kind of a massive thing. Because if you play Hancock at nickel, if you've got Malik Hartford burgeoning into whatever he's going to be, and then you put Ransom there, that means you've got full flexibility with Sonny Styles. Lathan Ransom coming back is a thing that maybe lets you do exactly what you want to do with Sonny Styles, and you don't have to try to fit him somewhere where it's not his ideal spot. Andrew, we, we've talked really throughout the season about the safety recruiting and yeah. how maybe it hasn't been necessarily up to par, but when you have a guy like this come back for a fifth year where maybe you weren't expecting this going into the season, can that, at least for a year, push off the problems that maybe you n- didn't necessarily land high-level guys in the, on the recruiting trail. Yeah, you're, you're kicking the can down the road because, uh, you know, if you had a, a K.J. Bolden coming in this class and Lathan Ransom decides, I'm going to go to the NFL, you're not, a, you're not, you're, you know, you're, ah, well, you know, we're going to miss Lathan Ransom, but you're not killing yourself over it, you know what I'm saying? You're not worried about it in that type of way where, you know, Ohio State, they bring in two safeties in this class, Jalen McClain, uh, like two, the rankings have changed so much, I, I've lost track of what they are. He's a four-star in the 200s, 250 range. Uh, he's four-star from New Jersey. And then you have Leroy Roker, who's a three-star player, who's kind of at the bottom of the rankings in the class. And he's more of a project type player. So you look at the depth chart at safety, and it's really young. Because you got Bonsu, Hartford, Hawkins, McLean, Roker, and five guys in their first two years. And you've only got three guys beyond that. 
Like that's a that's a young room. So having Ransom comes back coming back, it allows you to just slow play this a little bit more than you would have anyways. Because think about it, like think about the room as it stands now. You have Sonny Styles, you know, you have Malik Hartford, and you have Latham Ransom. Or how you could you have those three guys, or you could put Hancock. You could Hancock's gonna play nickel, and you you've got all of these different options and all of these different permutations that could happen at safety. And Jihad Carter's still around. Like you've got you know kind of you got you got options. You know you're creating options there. If you lose Ransom, and now all of a sudden it's like Styles and Hartford, and then you're kind of like looking who's gonna step up to be our next guy in line. And then it's just a problem of, all right, well, what about 2025? You would you would accelerate the problem. And what this ransom thing does is I don't think it's, you know, I, I would kind of compare it to like a dam that has some holes in it. It's not cracking. It doesn't mean it's going to implode. And you just taped over it for now. You taped over it for now. You've got to get some some stronger stuff to fix it. Moving forward, you've got to get some more sturdy stuff to make sure that that thing kind of stays in order and it doesn't go haywire, but you fixed it and you're not going to worry about it for a little while and you can kind of turn your attention elsewhere. Like Nathan was saying, you don't really worry about the linebackers if you have the corners back and the safeties back and the D line back, right? And I think you could kind of make that case where it's like, oh, geez, well, even with one of the linebackers coming back, like Cody Simon, he's a veteran player. You're not really necessarily worried about you know, kind of him not knowing what he's doing or needing to be put in alignment or anything like that. So yeah, just the veteran aspect of this, I think is a big deal. And, um, you know, I think it does kind of allow them to develop its safety. Whereas if Ransom was gone, you might've been in an uncomfortable position sooner than you would have liked. Could end up being famous last words on that linebacker thing. <laughs> That's <laughs> we'll a fair see point. if I'm yeah. still talking the same <laughs> way when we get to like, I don't know, October. That's just me as I'm looking at this collection of players right now. But you no, know, you definitely hit on something, Andrew, because as we were discussing, you know, off of Ryan Day's criteria, the coaching staff and what evaluations you would make right now, there was definitely some like hemming and hawing over the Perry Eliano thing. And it's tough because the staff, the, the safety group performed great, I thought, last mm-hmm. year. I mean, the early combination with Styles and Hancock plus Ransom, plus getting the best season of Josh, Proc- Josh Proctor's career after however many different safety coaches had their shot at it the whole time he was at Ohio State. Like, all those things were he, – his coaching helped this defense be one of the best defenses in the country, but the recruiting hasn't been there. And this buys you a little time. This And you're going to probably have to still end up doing something in the portal at some point to fix this, uh, but it at least doesn't make 2020 right now look like a problem so much consternation out there the last couple years about what Ohio State was or wasn't doing in the portal but like keeping these guys is better than getting portal guys keeping I don't was there a better safety in the portal this year than Lathan Ransom and more to the point was there one that was better for Ohio State a guy who Mm -hmm. already knows the system this will be his third year in the system I just it's maybe it would be a wash if there was someone more talented. I don't know. I just think that it this is the kind of thing that that does buy them a little bit of time to finally start getting some wins at, in the safety group. But they do still have to do that. I think the key thing you said there is for Ohio State. It's you can't just bring a guy in. You're looking you would have to be looking for a guy to play that banded role. So if you're finding a safety who's like a nickel safety or more of a free safety, but can't do the things that you're requiring from that position, then it's a a wash. You didn't really replace what you were losing in that situation. I think that's what makes it such a big deal. I'm still open for the idea of maybe Sonny Styles might be a linebacker. I'm just in things that I, that wouldn't catch me off guard, especially since Jordan Hancock played so well last year. And if Malik Hartford is coming along the way we think he's coming along, at least the way people in that building think he's coming along. If you're starting safeties, are just Malik Hartford and uh, at adjuster, Lathan Ransom at Bandit, and Jordan Hancock's your nickel, and then you're fitting in Sonny Styles as a as a linebacker with Cody Simon and C.J. Hicks. I, that wouldn't throw me off at that point, especially because just that's the versatility you get there. That's I think we talked about Tyleek already last week because that happened kind of early. Who we haven't talked about, Nathan. We're gonna do a market down Monday pot on Monday where we're gonna look back on all the market down Mondays that we had, see where we were right and we were wrong. Jack Sawyer backdooring his way into making us right about picking him 
to lead this team in sacks. And Jack is back for another year of sack attack coming off of his three-sack performance in the Cotton Bowl against Missouri. So that's one of the two five-star edge rushers from that 2021 class who was on board. And you probably thought coming into the year, if you had to pick between the two, which one would be back for year four, you probably would have predicted Jack anyway. But just after we saw what he closed out the season, with, it seems like he's built himself some momentum to really take off in year four. Yeah, I think it's a fair discussion. Like, which one seems like he's playing better? Who was playing better at the end of the season? Who played better in the second half of the season? And that's it's not because JT Tumaloa was playing bad by any stretch. Jack Sawyer was just playing the best football of his career. I mentioned this before, I think, in a – I don't remember where we were talking about it, but that uh, Chop Robinson, the defensive end for Penn State, pulled ahead of, of Sawyer in terms of, like, the best PFF grade – for any defensive lineman in the Big Ten this year, but but Sawyer was number yeah. one going into bowl season. So somehow even like going into bowl season, getting three sacks in the bowl game didn't pull him ahead. I'm not really sure how that worked, but nonetheless, uh, a great season for Sawyer, uh, I think by any stretch. And again, it's like okay, six and a half sacks. I know people want it to be ten, and maybe it still can be. Maybe he, his timeline to get there was just a little bit behind, and. That is still something that I think has to be reconciled here is because we were talking about this, I think, going into the Cotton Bowl where it's like, OK, like having JT Tumalo out and Jack Sawyer back for 2024 is a great thing for the 2024 defense. It's not necessarily a great thing for your momentum as a program. Like, I mean, it is, but it is because it'll help you win, but you don't. You, your your selling point as a program is supposed to be that like, oh, to these guys who are going to be at that same ranking in the future, come here, you're here for three years, and you're a first-round NFL draft pick. That didn't happen with Sawyer. It may not happen with Tuimaloa. We're waiting to hear as of 3 o'clock uh, Monday afternoon what exactly he's going to end up doing. Uh, could be sometime this week. Has to be sometime by next Monday. So I, I'm still trying to figure that out, how I feel about that, because I think it's fair to look at that both ways. But as far as what it means for 2024, and really what it means for Jack Sawyer is like, if, as long as the end result is what you want, as long as the end result is great production and a good NFL draft uh, finish, I think you get to you'll get to still use that. If it happens in three years, happens in four years, I think people care about the end result more. So I guess that's where I would come down on it. Andrew Jack Sawyer, 48 tackles this year, 10 tackles for loss. Six and a half sacks. He tied with JT Tuimaloa and tackles for a loss to lead this team and obviously led this team in sacks with six and a half, three of those sacks coming in the Cotton Bowl. What's the next step look like for Jack Sawyer? Do you think this can be a 10-sack guy? I think he almost has to be to make it kind of worth his while to come back, yeah? Like, he has to prove that he's that elite level of pass rusher that he can evolve to that level because I think as it stands now, I, I have made this comparison before. I, I don't want to pretend it's unique. I know a lot of other people have seen it too. He just reminds me so much of Sam Hubbard. And Sam Hubbard is a quality NFL pass rusher. And he does just a lot really well. He plays the run well, plays his scheme well. He can get after the passer well. But you can't rely on Sam Hubbard to be a number one pass rusher in the NFL. And, and, I, don't, and I don't think that that's necessarily a dig because you have Trey Hendrickson on the other side. And that's a really good thing for the Bengals. So you you can rely on Hubbard to be this kind of 1B. So my question with Sawyer is, can you be this 1A? Like, can you be a, the guy that a team wants to spend a first-round pick on you, they're not picking you because, hey, you know what? We think you can be a great number two option. They're, th they're drafting you because they're, you're either going to be their best pass rusher or you're going alongside somebody who is just already so good that you just inherently are the number two pass rusher on that team. But on most other teams, you're a number one. Like that's the kind of level that you have to reach to. You have to reach levels in college football where you can prove I am a dude who demands double teams. I am a dude who can beat double teams, right? Like that's the level that you have to get to if you want to be a first round pick. Guys have to game plan for you. Teams have to game plan for you. So that's what I want to see with Jack Sawyer. And that's what I think you need to see with Jack Sawyer because he played so well at the end of the year, like especially in that second half of the year, he was just on fire. And I think that if you can prove that you've got that high-end ability, that really separates you. Because right now, 
you know, if he comes back and he has another great year or, you know, another solid year, I should say, and he, he just kind of plays at the level, like if he, here, let me ask you guys this. If he plays at the level that he played at from game six through 13, is he a first round pick? Yeah. You think so? I think so. I think, I think so. so. Yeah. Yeah. Is he, so he little, he's got to do that. Steven, is he like, he's not old for his grade, right? He's at least like just kind of no, in he's, line. Yeah, he's even a smidge young. So yeah, he's younger. That, that helps a little bit too. I mean, it's all about May 6, it, 2002. Yeah. So it's, you know, he'll be 21 still at the, no, 20. He'll be, 20, 21. he'll be 22 at the time of the draft, but that's still, oh, that's yeah, not old yeah. by any means uh, next year, the 25 draft. So yeah, when he, um, when he debuts as a rookie in 25, he'll be 20, uh, 23, 23. Yeah. So it, you know, I, I'm I'm intrigued by what is going to because it's one thing when we see guys who just get to the end of their third year and it's like, well, yeah, I mean, I guess technically they could go, but nobody really thinks they will. But with with someone like him and the surge that he made down the stretch and then to finish it the way he did at the Cotton Bowl, you know, he was joking with us at the Cotton Bowl like, oh, you know, I'm pretty, you know. He wasn't even really joking. He was like saying, I'm pretty sure I know what I'm going to do. And he just didn't want to say it ahead of time, but was joking that he would come out of the locker room and tell us uh, after the game. I think in that <laughs> time he was probably envisioning having just won the game. So it would make a, Correct. a, a better announcement. But I, <laughs> I was kind of thinking uh, after that game, I was like, hey, you may want to sleep on this. And it took him a few <laughs> more days before he made the, the pick. Cause he, I, it, that was not a junk offensive line that he messed up that yeah. night. Like, he was dominant. He was the best football player in that game. And if he can continue to do that, in a, I don't on a regular basis next year, uh, then, I mean, this is when you start to look. Listen, how did this whole thing get started for Michigan? This whole thing got started for Michigan in 2021 when Aiden Hutchinson Dang decides it, to come back. Step above point. Dang and, it. And... <laughs> And it wasn't like they had – now, Michigan didn't have, like, roster-wide all these third years coming back, which is, I guess, even more enticing for Ohio State. But it was just the right combination of getting a a, a true game record like that back. And and he was already, like, a known quantity, but then he had gotten hurt in 2020. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. it, it was a little bit – a little bit different. But if, there, if, if Sawyer was taking a step, and then finishes taking that step next year, then especially with everything else that appears to be ready to come back for this defense, it's just every time you look down at it on paper, it's it's hard not to think like this is like this has a chance to be better than the 2019 defense. And this year actually wasn't that far off in terms of just what it actually produced at the end of the day, preventing yards, preventing points. So. I want to add in something real quick before uh, Stephen goes. The you asked me, Stephen, about like what this does for the safety room with Ransom coming back, and like does this kind of put off your problems a little bit? I think you could make the case that Sawyer coming back kind of does the same thing, but maybe even in a bigger way for the defensive line and the defensive end group specifically. Um, you only have one defensive end in the 2024 class in Edric Houston. And I understand it's a five-star and I understand that's a dude who Ryan Day said can contribute from day one, but you only, you only had one. And the 2025 class in terms of Ohio state didn't start off great. The other day, um, Chris Burgess, he's a top 150 player uh, from Chicago. He's a defensive end. He committed to Notre Dame. Um, Steven and I were talking about that. He looked like he wanted to be anywhere else other than on stage at the All-American Bowl when he was committing. He uh, he was not ready to be uh, in front of all the cameras like that. But that's the thing. Like The defensive line recruiting, you're going to sense a theme here over these next couple of weeks, uh, dear listeners of this podcast, where we're going to talk about the 2025 defense and beyond. And we're going to start to see some horizon or some problems on the horizon. Just kind of like you guys were talking about how you guys in 2021 and 2022 were looking at like, hey, like this 2023 team could be something fierce. I think you could kind of make that case elsewhere that unless the 2025 class is a really strong class, you know, you might have some problems on on the defensive line, uh, you know, kind of building here. Because if Jack Sawyer, JT Tumalo are gone after this season or after the 2024 season, 
mean, Kenyatta Jackson, Caden Courier guys, and then in in uh, 2025 that would be, and then 2026 you start Houston, and then who else? You don't really have an answer right now as to who that would be, and it's really hard to play the defensive line or offensive line as a true freshman or even as a second-year player and be impactful. You know, I'm not saying you can't do it. I'm just saying it's really hard. So I think that what this does is, again, it buys you a little more time, but the clock is ticking on some of these issues. That's when they start playing the jack position. Just throw that out Okay, okay. They they may not have a choice. (laughs) Just saying. only got one defensive end. Somebody else want to jump up here? Um, I, I also think it's there's something to be said for that they don't plan it this way, but we always say these things and we're like, hey, let's put a pen in that. And like, we're all going to, everybody on the beat's going to write this story in like two and a half years. And it's going to be like, what Jack Sawyer and JT Tuamaloao coming back in 2024 meant for Edric Houston's All America season or whatever. You know what I mean? Like having those two guys around as mentors. Listen, Kenyatta Jackson and Caden Curry are no longer. Uh, spring chickens like they are veterans now even yep. though we haven't seen them that much in terms of playing you know first line first half snaps you know what i mean but they're gonna be third year guys this year so that's the other thing that you kind of unspoken thing if, if not really even unspoken but if if two of comes back and that's the four defensive ends you're putting on the field every game plus trying to find a, a, a moment here and there for your Mitchell Meltons. That's just, that's just a really, really, really crazy rotation of guys. That is a little bit like some of the, the defensive lines that they put together during the, the Meyer era, where you just had like, you could put waves of guys out there and it just, that's what we thought this year was going to be at its best. And it kind of got there. And the, to think that you can bring back all those guys minus my call. And we don't know for sure on, on Tumalo and Ty Hamilton, but if you can bring back all these other guys and uh, it, it, it like, it's just going to be interesting how we talk about this defense going into the year. Cause it's going to be all the same guys, except a year ago we were like, well, here's what it could be like, maybe like best case scenario. And I think it even exceeded that in some ways. And now the, the expectation is going to be through the roof. I was looking at this old Jack Sawyer photo from something I did on him when he was a recruit. That dude has put on so much weight <laughs> since he's been in college. It's, it's kind of crazy. Weird. It's kind of crazy how some yeah. of these dudes put on weight. The Jason it, Moore one's crazy to me. Like the Jason yeah. Moore high school photos to now is crazy. It, yeah, but I think there are some fans who think that's part of the problem here. Like Jack Sawyer, part of the thing about him coming out of high school was he had this quick twitch and a bit of a bend, and we haven't necessarily seen that since he's put on some of this weight. And some of that might be the scheme in terms of when we talk about the sacks. J- JT and Jack are asked to set the edge a lot more often than we've. You know, been accustomed to seeing Ohio State elite edge rush should be able to do. So that might be playing in some of the number stuff. But Nathan brought it up. That was going to be my whole point. Aiden Hutchinson and Jack Sawyer both have this thing where because of it, you go, could this guy have been a three and done player had this thing not happened? And Aiden Hutchinson's obviously a little bit more out of his control because he just got hurt in 2020 and Michigan stunk. But if he doesn't get hurt, maybe he just has the 21 year in a truncated 2020 year and he goes pro anyway. He's probably not the number two pick in the draft, but he might be like the 22nd pick in that draft. So it's like, okay, this former top 100 recruits got to come back for year four, but then he's just the best defensive player in the country and is a Heisman Trophy finalist. So it's like, okay, cool. And Michigan goes to the playoff. He's also from Michigan. So he grew up at a time when Michigan was getting his butt whipped. And then he got to be a part of that butt whipping in 2019. And I think 2018, I believe he, he was on those two. He was on those two teams where Ohio State dropped 56 and 62. One year he was a freshman. The other year he had a significant role in 2019. And then he is he flipped it. He sacked C.J. Stroud three times, I think, in that game and flipped it. He was one of the primary reasons why this is flipped in this situation. Jack Sawyer's from Ohio. Jack Sawyer is the first commitment of the Ohio State program with Ryan Day being its head coach. Jack Sawyer is a top five recruit in the country. Jack Sawyer also spent his second year in his program trying to learn a position he probably should have never been playing. So maybe the Jack Sawyer, to your point, Andrew, that we saw week six through 13, maybe we see that in week one. If he doesn't spend his sophomore year not all the way doing defensive end stuff because he's got to spend whatever amount of time doing jack stuff because they got to find a way to get three five five star edge rushers on the field with him, JT Chuimaloa, and Zach Harrison. And he's probably the at that point the most versatile of the group in terms of being able to play that position. But 
He's coming back for year four. He's had a full year of just being a defensive end while playing meaningful snaps. And he's just had the best game of his career. And I'm just wondering, man, if like Ohio State has its own Aiden Hutchinson. And I know that's like a weird thing to hear because it's like, hey, can you do the thing that your rival did to put them on top for you? But I don't, it's just, there's some parallels between him and Aiden Hutchinson where if we get to that, the game's even at home this year, like it was for Aiden Hutchinson. If we get to that Michigan game and Jack Sawyer's got two and a half sacks and it feels like he just took over the game, I don't think that surprises me. Now, I'm not I'm not saying he's going to be the number two pick in the 2025 NFL draft, but I do think him coming back, if he builds on the last five weeks of the season, yes, Andrew, I do think he's going to be a first-round pick. In fact, I, if he's like a top 20 pick, I don't think that would be shocking at all because that looked like a dude who's like a top 20 pick against Missouri. And to your point, Nathan, Missouri's got – it's not like a spry, bad offensive line. That was actually a pretty good offensive line and a pretty good team. I think that's it in terms of opt-outs, unless I'm missing anybody, Nathan, that we know of as of right now. Opt-ins? They're opting yeah, in opt-ins, for their excuse me. Next, yes. for their next season? Yeah. I – uh yeah, I think that's the only one I've I've like written things on everybody who might be coming of back. Course. So I have to be careful like which ones because I don't we're waiting for the announcement. It's not like I know anything yeah. yet. But we'll see. And we're back on Buckeye Talk. We're talking recent developments in the Ohio State football program. We've talked about Ohio State not retaining Perry Eliano. We're talking about Lathan Ransom and Jack Sawyer both coming back. Lathan Ransom for year five, Jack Sawyer for year four. This one is still not necessarily official in any way, though he was a in Columbus, well, it's not reportedly. He told us. He told the world he was in Columbus, both on his, what was the, the app formerly known as Twitter and on his Instagram page. And that's Quinshawn Judkins, the former Ole Miss running back, decided to go on the transfer portal about a week ago after back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons. 545 carries, 2,725 yards, 31 touchdowns in the last two years for Ole Miss. He decided to go on the transfer portal, and it seems like Ohio State has – had a big push here to potentially add this guy to its roster, Nathan. Does this potentially tell us anything about which way Travion Henderson may be leaning in terms of his future? I wouldn't say that at this stage because if Ohio State, all of this is happening pretty quickly. You know, mm-hmm. Justin's just went in the portal last week. You know, he had until whatever that was Tuesday night to go in. And Henderson doesn't have to announce anything, doesn't have to um, submit his paperwork until a week from the recording this on Monday. So next Monday, 15th. And what I have not been able to fully suss out here is whether this is because of that compressed timeline, Ohio State says, hey, come in, take a visit. We're waiting on Henderson. You know, if Henderson decides to stay, you can decide based on that. If Henderson decides to leave, we, we definitely want you, um, which I think would probably be the answer, right? Like they they, they are in a, a big time need of a running back if Trevor Henderson leaves. So, but what what's interesting to me is that all indications were that Henderson was thinking about staying. And if this is happening with the assumption that Henderson's going to stay, maybe even on Ohio State standpoint with the knowledge he's going to stay, then that's where it's interesting to me and interesting is like, well, okay. I see the upside certainly on paper. I'm also like, okay, but this is like, I mean, Judkins carried the ball 271 times this year or something like that. Like Judkins is already a workhorse back. And do you want two guys who expect, I mean, you want it, you want it, but how do two guys who expect to, after this year, both be in the NFL feel about splitting up the carries in an offense that while it does prioritize the run in some ways is also still going to have to feed all these receivers too. Andrew, what do you think first? Cause I think you're in line with that thinking. Why did they redshirt Dallin Hayden? <laughs> what was the point? That's a question. What's the that, point? Well, no, but honestly, 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 this is one of the reasons why if you're Dallin Hayden, you don't mind redshirting. Because you don't know what's coming next. And if you weren't going to play very much this year anyway, now you have three full years to use somewhere else if you decide to leave. Yeah, that's fair. I don't know what they think of Dallin Hayden. I I honestly don't. Because I felt like like, 
you read tea leaves, you talk to people, it just felt like you get a go get a guy of this caliber. Think if you're probably thinking Travion Henderson isn't going to stay, and now you need a starter. So you go get this guy because it's like you could have had the same conversation about Travis Etienne's brother when he transferred into the transfer portal from Florida. But if Travion Henderson was going to go back, maybe you'll, you go get a depth guy because no matter what the situation is, Dallin Hayden is probably your two. And this puts Dallin Hayden at three if this turns into something real. But to address the point you made, Nathan, I think for Quinshawn and Trey, and I just know this because, I mean, I've been talking to Trey since he was a, a recruit. He has never had a problem sharing carries. In fact, he has been in favor of it for the sake of, yeah, I got to get my body to the NFL with right. as little wear and tear as possible. So he, it's why he just chose to come to Ohio State with Evan Pryor. Now, Evan Pryor's career obviously didn't work out here, but that was for injury reasons more than anything else. He never really had a chance to showcase what he was talent-wise. So I think from Travion Henderson's standpoint, I don't think he has a problem sharing carries with Quinshawn. But with Quinshawn... To your point, I think the question is, dude, are you – you had 271 carries this year. You had 274 carries last year. Are you cool with that number basically being cut in half or 100 less carries if it means you get X amount of more games in your body for the NFL? And if you're going to do this and you're not really sure what Travion Henderson is going to do yet – I would assume, I haven't talked to Quinchon. I've never talked to Quinchon. I don't know anything, but this type of move, when you're not sure what the starting running back is doing, says to me that you're all good with like not having just as much wear and tear if you're thinking that this is a one or two year situation for you. Well, it's also one of those things where you look at, I think we, we talked about this with the quarterback recruiting. It kind of keeps you on track. Like if Travion goes it kind of keeps you on track because Judkins is kind of on that path of he's got one more year left and then he's going to go to the NFL. And I don't know if you guys have thought about this at all, but I think from a Quinchon Judkins perspective, it makes a lot of sense because the 2025 running back class is cranked because you got Nick Singleton and Catron Allen. You got those two running backs. You've got Judkins, who's who's eligible. All these guys are eligible in 25. You got the two Penn Staters. You got Judkins. You got Ollie Gordon, the running back from Oklahoma State, will be eligible. Omarion Hampton, the running back out of North Carolina, will be eligible. Jaden Ott out of Cal, he'll be out eligible. Um, Trevor Etienne will be eligible. Like, there's a lot of guys that are going to be eligible. So I think from a from a from a Judkins perspective, this makes sense as a Let's see what I can let's let me go to an offense that is better than Ole Miss. I, I do think Ole Miss, we talked about this, I think, on the pod, like Ole Miss might be kind of revving up for 25. But you go to a team that has a bigger market and you say, like, let me even if I have to split carries, I'll be in a better situation and putting myself for putting myself in the best foot forward for that 2025 draft. So I think it makes sense on a couple different areas for him for Ohio state, because it does keep you on track. Like I said, because then it does kind of just say like, Hey, James people's 2025. It's your room. You're the guy because what this would do, it doesn't put Dallin Hayden into a number one role right now. Whatever that does to Dallin Hayden's future. We don't know, but doesn't put Dallin Hayden in the number one role. If Travion's gone, you have Judkins there. Like if you have Travion there, you have the best one, two punch in the country. If not top three, I guess like, with Singleton and Allen and somebody else and somebody else who I'm not thinking of Come right on. now. Singleton and Allen were not that good this year. I have I wonder how much that was I wonder how much that was out they were, of their they were control. definitely held back by like the that. quarterback play, but, yeah. but still. But that's so that's what I'm saying. Like you might have the best one two punch in the country, if not the best one two punch in the country. And then like I, I think that this makes sense. That's my whole point. I think that this makes sense from a lot of different perspectives. I guess we should talk a little bit about what, what Judkins actually is too here. Like he so he was a, like a three star prospect out of mm-hmm. some little place in Alabama. And he comes in I, I assume it's small. Most things in Alabama are small. And then he comes in to as a true freshman and runs for like fifteen hundred yards and fifteen touchdowns. And he averaged like five point seven yards a carry. Now that's not like that's not like the best of Henderson but that's like pretty solid still especially as a true freshman in the SEC mm-hmm. and then this past year the volume numbers were still strong the pretty strong but the average really plummeted he went down to like 
three yards a carry, I want to say, 4.2, 4.3. Like, that's pretty – Yeah. That's, like, almost pedestrian at the college level, right? Like, that's really good in the NFL. 4.3 yards a carry, you'll take that all year long, really. But in, at the college level, even in the SEC, I'm, that, that's not great. So I, I'm curious exactly how he would – he is not – I guess what I'm trying to get at is – there, especially this past year, there there wasn't a lot of like breakaway for him. Like, I think he only had a couple runs of 30 yards or more, none of, of like no 50, 60 yard breakouts this past year out of 271 carries. So it would be an interesting contrast, maybe in styles. I think he's about 5'10, 5'11, uh, 200 something, like 210, maybe five, somewhere ten, around two, in ten, there. Yeah. yeah. So, like, you know, p- Built pretty sturdy if you've seen a picture of him. So maybe that would be an interesting contrast of styles b- between the two of them. Um, but yeah, it would have to be a situation where uh, somebody comes in and uh, takes at best a a number two role, right? I mean, he would be the number two, but best is like a a, a full timeshare. And then what are you doing with them? Are you alternating series with them? Like, is that what Trevor Henderson is coming back for? A fourth season. I agree with you that he's always been pretty unselfish about this and had a a progressive, like long term perspective on this. I, I and I have always thought that for him it mattered more what he did with each carry than how many carries he got. Like I think mm-hmm. he's legitimately one of those guys. But also, if you're coming back for another year, you know you want to put things out there on film. You want to showcase yourself. So like, how how is that going to work? I'm 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 very curious about it. Uh, it. I think regardless, the fact that he's in for a visit is is smart for Ohio State and probably smart for him. Like I said, like there's still a lot of ways this could go, it seems, and all of them are potentially positive depending on how people want to uh, handle the circumstances. And oh, the other thing I wanted to mention, you mentioned that Ole Miss kind of revving things up this year. How have they been doing that? Ole Miss has been getting dudes in the transfer portal. And when there's NIL money getting thrown around for that, sometimes the guys who are already there start to say, well, where's Mm -hmm. my NIL money? And uh, so that's the other factor here, that he may be looking at this and saying, I can either stay here and be the number one guy and get a bunch of carries at this price, or I can go somewhere else, take less of a workload, but get this price. And like that's Mm -hmm. the kind of thing that's going on out there. It's a weird thing because like NFL free agency would never work that way really you would never be like well I can go be the number one running back for the Bears or I can go be like in a timeshare for the whoever's great right now uh the Dolphins or the or whoever like I don't think you would necessarily do that quite the same way especially if the if because NFL teams don't pay that way either they're not like well we'll pay you three times as much to be a number two back is they'll pay you to be a number one back like that. It just doesn't work that way. We're at a different, a, a different economy at the college level. It's almost, you see it the other way around where it's like, Hey, I can go make all this money for this team that sucks and get all the carries in the world. Or I can sacrifice a little bit of money and a little bit of touches, but play for a championship team. And it's like in reverse this time around. Right. We, at least but, we think right now, but right now I would say that based on everything we know, and maybe Judkins' departure would change this. Ole Miss might be ranked ahead of Ohio State to start next year based on what they have coming back and the mm, talent that they yeah. brought in this offseason. Like, it's very likely. So he's got he's in a good spot either way if he wants to. I mean, they're all going to be in the playoffs probably. But, like, Ole Miss is being, like, trumpeted right now. Is like this could be their – this coming up could be the year that they really take their shot. Yeah, I mean, I think they looked at that schedule and said, let's go to the portal and let's try to – hit this window that we're seeing Washington hit. I think that's going to be an interesting conversation for us to have this offseason after a lot of this has shook, shook itself out of what like the top five in the preseason AP poll is going to look like because there is a world where if things go the right way and a lot of things navigate where Ohio State's like the number one preseason team in the country just simply because this defense is so good and there's so many question marks about other teams. But there's also a case that you can make that they're like number six, depending on how some things yeah. shake out and how some things. So it's, I think it's we're heading into a 12-team playoff and we're heading into a year where I think this is – there's a lot of questions and it's a good thing that there are this many questions. One more thing I want to do before we get out of here. We, we do this every year heading into senior senior day where we predict the third-year guys and who's going to stay and who's going to go, and so much has changed. 
since we did that early prediction that I almost just want to play a game of in or out with who's left in terms of what do we think now in terms in comparison to maybe what we thought in early November. I cannot believe it's only been like two and a half months and so much has changed. So, so far, here's what we have picked and here's what we got it right and here we got what it got it wrong. We all thought Kyle McCord was going to stay. We were correct in saying he was going to stay in college football. We were incorrect in saying that he was going to stay in Columbus. So I'll give us half the half credit. point for that one. Yeah, half credit. Yeah, I'll give a half point. He didn't Marvin go the NFL. I mean, that's what we're picking is is is, is, yeah. is NFL or or so he didn't go to the NFL. So I think we get yeah. credit for that. I like that. Marvin Harrison Jr. hasn't said a word, but let's just be honest about this for a second. Marvin, anytime you want to put out the tweet, it's okay. Yeah, come on, we're man. here for you. I actually, we forgot all said Mike- he, I forgot that he had not actually declared yet. Yeah, that's a we're good re- point. We're recording this like, before the national title game happens. I hope he does it. Oh, I actually hope he doesn't do it. But it would be objectively funny if he did it at some point during the game, and especially if Michigan wins the national championship. <laughs> he just does it during the ceremony or I, something like that. I think that'd be kind of funny. I'm coming around the idea that maybe he waits till the 15th to do it because CJ Stroud yeah. did it last year. And yeah. it's like, who cares? It's not going to hurt him at all. And so why say something until you have to say something? We all thought Mike Hall Jr. was going to stay, but obviously we, Nathan, I think both we've learned things about. There's other factors that go into why people stay and they go when they're talking about going pro. And I think some things changed in his life in terms of that stuff that made that decision go the other way where he went where he went pro instead of staying. So let's just play a quick game of in or out. Nathan, we'll start with you on all of these. Is Travian Henderson back or is he off to the NFL? And then I'll, after you give your answer, I'll reveal what you said it was the first time. Uh, I believe I said he was coming back. I I think he's coming back. Okay. Andrew? I think I said going. So I'm going to say going. So we all said he's going. And... I think he's coming back. And, uh, yeah, I think he's coming back. So that's that one. Marvin Harrison Jr., we all agree, is leaving. Because if he doesn't say anything, I think everyone's going to push him out the door anyway. Ameka Abuka, Nathan. Leave or go. Staying. Okay. Andrew? I think he's staying. We all said leave the first time. I think he's staying at this point. And even then, I think I said leave, but I probably... Looking back on it, I could have convinced myself stay at that point too, because nothing had really changed in that situation in terms of his individual performance. Donovan Jackson, Nathan, uh, stay. Andrew, I think he's gonna stay. Okay, nothing's changed there. I'm gonna come back to this one. Oh, and then Tyleek Williams, we all said he was gonna leave, and he did leave. Denzel Burke. Well, Tyreek Williams stayed. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, Tyreek Williams stayed. We all thought he was going to leave, and he stayed. So Okay. Yeah. So we all thought Mike Hall was going to stay, and he left, and we all thought Tyreek Williams was going to leave, and he stayed. Which I think if you had told me one of those guys leaves and one of those guys stays, and I probably would have just believed you. But Denzel Burke, Nathan. Stay. Andrew. I think he's going to stay, but I definitely said he was going to go. <laughs> yeah, we all said leave the first time. Nathan's changing his to a stay. I think I'm going to stay leave. Interesting. I'm thinking okay. I'm leave. Yeah. And then Jordan Hancock, Nathan. Stay. Andrew. Stay. So no changes. And I saved this guy for last. And the reason I saved him for last was because... I just think his decision timeline of whatever it is is going to play out like this anyway. It's going to be last. I think it's going to play out exactly like his recruitment did, uh, Nathan. I might be wrong about that, but he literally waited until July 4th because there are things he wanted to do and information he wanted to get before he made any level of a decision, and nothing was ever going to deter him from it, and it didn't keep him from having an impact as a true freshman, and that was JT Twimelo out. And sometimes you look at a kid's recruitment and you can go, okay, that's how he just handles things in his life. He's not going to be quick. 
He's going to do it on his time. And if that means up to the very last second and the very last hour, then that's how I'm going to do it. And no one's going to tell me any differently. And I think this is going to play the same out, same way. Nathan, JT Chuamolo, I'll stay or leave. It's the one that I'm maybe the least confident in. I'm at like 51% stay. Andrew? I think he's going to go. Um, I I think he's going to go. I think I compare his I compare him to uh, Miles Murphy, who was just a first-round pick for the Bengals. Really highly rated recruit, and I think you just – there were a lot of people that looked at Murphy's numbers. I know I'm going long. There were a lot of people that looked at Murphy's numbers and went, ah, he could do a little bit more. But I think he just strikes me as a guy who, like, he'll show up at the combine and explode. Yeah, I think there's a chance of that, yeah. We all said leave the first time. I think my answer on this one changes every day. <laughs> and it's – I'm so serious because it's like – It depends on how you're feeling, yeah. It's just because of who he is, I don't know how much he like, – you brought up the Miles Murphy point. I don't know how much he cares about being three and done. I think he cares about, you know, stuff that's not always like the most obvious football stuff of like, you know, Larry being able to play for Larry Johnson one more year, being around these guys. And, you know, sometimes the whole brotherhood stuff that people can do in their college football programs can be overblown. But I think with guys like JT, I think that stuff matters, man. And he came to Ohio State as a potential three and done talent, but I don't think he's always had a three and done mindset like that i don't think he was ever in a situation where was like i'm here like chase young was going to be here for three years and he was going to leave like yeah. he was always on that mindset and that's just sure. what it was going to be nick bosa was like that joey bosa was like that jt his personality is a lot similar to what zach harrison's was when i remember talking with zach harrison when he first got here as an early enrollee in 2019 and he didn't talk like this dude who was like almost like a mercenary with it right where it's like um there's a means to an end here i'm here to get to my next step so I think I'm going to say stay. And then if we do this tomorrow, I'm going to say go. <laughs> and then I'm going to say stay, which I think is what he's doing. I think, honestly, that when he talks about this, whether he does stay or go, he's going to probably say something similar to that. We're like, I would wake up this day and it'd be stay. And I'd wake up this day and be go. And sometimes halfway through the day, it would change. But I'm going to say stay because enough of these other guys are staying that it becomes about something more than just maybe I can go be the 27th pick. And in the meantime, he might win a national championship and might up his draft stock at the same time. So, yeah, that's – I agree with Nathan. I think he's going to stay. He so is a, the one ahead. guy – he's the one guy that I think, as Andrew alluded to, could maybe just blow up the combine and yeah. make it worthwhile if he did go. But that's a gamble. Yeah. And just – how he goes about things, he doesn't seem up for like just making a gamble for the sake of making a gamble, right, Nathan? I think that's a fair thing that, that with how he goes about his actions. It's it is, but it's also like it, it, his family was methodical about all that stuff for a reason, yeah. and it 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 wasn't just like having control of a situation. It was having some savvy about um what was at stake and knowing yeah. that you were the team, you, you got to take advantage of, of having this time if you wanted it. So um, it's, they, they know what they're doing. It, it's a, mm -hmm. it's a family that knows what it's doing when it comes to football. And um, yeah, I think it's just, it is a tough choice. I think where he's at, because I think there is clear upside, but it's nothing guaranteed right now. So that's our updated, educated guesses on Ohio State's third year guys. A lot of those guys still have decisions to make. Get the text. 614-350-3315 as those decisions come out over the next 10 days, seven days, actually, at this point, seven days, six days as you're hearing this, actually, between now and Monday, as those decisions are coming out, we're going to text it first before we do anything else. As Ryan Day is making decisions about his staff, as recruiting things happen, as anything happen, anything that happens with Ohio State, we're going to text it first before we do anything else. 614-350-3315, two-week free trial, 399. After that, that will wrap it for this Tuesday pod. For Nathan Baird and for Andrew Gillis, I'm Stephen Means, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>